Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And it's been two weeks since my last broadcast, uh, two weeks since the CPI report, which is when I, I always do a podcast on the, uh, on the day of the CPI report. And, uh, and the reason I haven't done a podcast since then really has been that I've been waiting for today. And so uh, it's, the, it's the 28th day of July, and today we got the GDP report. And the reason that I care about this particular GDP report, the GDP report for the second quarter, uh, is that for some time now it's been fairly obvious that there was going to be something that was kind of important uh, about this number. Uh, and, and it's not that it's the second consecutive negative quarter, and so some people think that that, that uh, makes it a recession. And, and, and I should say that I'm at least a little bit sympathetic to the administration's point on this, that this is a different cycle, and there's nothing magical about two negative quarters. Two negative quarters of growth almost always does re- end up in a recession, but it isn't by itself a recession. And so and we're still going to get there. We're still going to be in a recession. Uh, but it, it certainly doesn't quite feel like that yet. Um, and so I'm sort of sympathetic to that. But the data that we got today around the GDP report allows us to, to calculate uh, money velocity for the second quarter. And that's the subject of, of today's talk because it's been, it's been very obvious for, uh, for a while now that we were going to get an important rise in money velocity today uh, in the second quarter, that we were going to have a, a reversal. And the question was just going to be how big is the reversal and how long does it take, uh, how, you know, does that reversal precede other reversals? But anyway, that's the, the topic today is, is the turn that we have now seen in money velocity. Back in episode 10 of Sense and Sensibility, uh, I talked about the fundamentals of, of velocity. And so allow me to review a little bit of that, of that here. Uh, I think the important, part, <laughs> the important part to repeat is that there are a lot of otherwise smart people who think that velocity doesn't matter uh, or that it's going to be dead forever it's, you know, velocity is down, it's going to stay down, and, and so we never have to worry about it. Or that it's a, a computational artifact, um, or my favorite is people say, well, it's been disproven. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't do anything, um, which is all, all nonsense and bunk. But, you know, these are, these are comments that are made by people who don't spend all their time looking at it, like, like uh, the inflation guy does. For starters, money velocity, and again, so let, me, let me back up. So money velocity, just as a quick reminder, um, is, is part of the monetarist equation. The monetarist equation says that the amount of money in the system times the velocity, how many times that dollar is spent, um, M times V is, is the total amount of stuff that's bought in a year. And that has to equal, it's an identity, it has to equal the total amount of stuff that's sold and that is, is created. And so that's the P, the price level, times Q, the quantity, the real quantity. And so it has to be an identity because the stuff, the amount of stuff you buy is, has to equal the amount of stuff that got sold. So 
Um, and so velocity is a very important part of that, but it's we can't observe it directly, we can't measure it directly, so it gets calculated as sort of the residual of the other three pieces that we can we can measure a little bit better. And by the way, we still don't measure those other pieces better, but we measure them better than we can measure money, monetary velocity. But because it's sort of a plug number, that's what leads people to say it's it's a plug number. It just is an artifact of the other things. Um, except that it really does have economic significance. Uh, it, it means something. It's not, not just a number that, it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, K, the, the spring coefficient that tells you, you know, how much a spring will elongate given a, a certain amount of force. Um, well, you calculate that by taking the total amount of force that you put on a spring and, uh, and um, dividing the, the total distance that the, the spring elongated by the amount of force, and you get, you get K. But that doesn't make it an artifact. It doesn't, it's not just a computational artifact there. We calculate it that way, but that what you end up with is something which has some meaning in the context of the spring. And by the way, I'm sure there are physicists listening to this, and I may have just totally, totally butchered the, uh, the, the, the equation for the elongation of a spring, because I just, I just, that just came off the top of my head. So um, I apologize for that. But, but anyway, you get, you get my point here. It, just because we calculate it that way doesn't mean there's not significance to the number, that it does, in fact, mean something economically. Um, and it definitely, so first point is it definitely matters. And, and here's how it matters in the current instance. The price level, the amount that prices in the economy generally have risen since the end of 2019, okay, so the, the, the last full quarter before we had COVID effects and the, the lockdown was the fourth quarter of 2019. Um, and the price level since then has risen, if you use the GDP deflator, it's risen 13.2%. Uh, and prices, if you use CPI, are up 15.3%. So um, that's, the, that's the inflation that we've seen is that rise in prices, the price level. Meanwhile, m the money supply is up 49.3%. And, um, and, and by the way, I, I read something today that said that the money supply is up that much just because the, of, of all the stimulus programs that were passed uh, in in the days early days of COVID, um, and that absent that, um, there wouldn't have been an expansion in the money supply, and and that's that's true as far as it goes, but that doesn't absolve the Federal Reserve because if in fact we'd had these big stimulus programs, but the government had paid for those programs by just running a big deficit, issuing bonds to pay for that that deficit then you wouldn't have had the massive rise in, in, in the money supply. What you, what you needed then was for the Federal Reserve to then go buy all those bonds so that effectively the, the monetary authority created the money that then got paid out in, this, in, in, in these programs and, and this big deficit. So it really did take both, both sides of that. So it's not just that there were massive deficits because of COVID. It's because... Those debts, those deficits were monetized. But so we have the price level up, 
13 or 15 percent, and the money supply is up 49 percent. And the question is, well, why aren't prices 49 percent higher? This actually works out kind of cleanly. There basically in at the end of 2019 there were two dollars in circulation, and now there's three dollars. Okay, so we're we're up basically 50 percent in terms of the amount of money in circulation. So for every $2, every $2 bill out there, uh, we now have a $3 bill. Or if you were holding a $2 bill, another dollar came and stood next to it. But there's a, roughly the same amount of stuff to buy. GDP is up a total of 4% since then. So there's 50% more money and the same amount of stuff to buy. Why are prices only up 13%? You would think, all else being equal, that prices should, you know, we have the, the, the dollars out there are 50% less scarce than they were. And we measure prices in the, the, in using the measuring stick of those dollars. You would think that that means that prices should all go up by that amount. And they should, except for the fact that those dollars, the, that $3 is now circulating more slowly than the $2 were circulating at 21% more slowly. So we had a a 49% increase in money, but that money is circulating 21% more slowly. So that's the decline in money velocity has been a decline of 21% uh, through today's number. So that 21% is how much the money velocity has contracted. And it matters. That's obviously a, a big number. Without the collapse in money velocity, prices would be another 21% higher. So instead of 13% increase in the GDP GDP deflator, it would have been 34%. Okay, so think about, you know, two and a half or three times as much inflation as we've seen. And that's what we would have had if money velocity had not, had not collapsed. So, so velocity certainly matters. It's not, it is not an irrelevant number. The other, the, another complaint that often gets leveled is that, well, you know, it's because it's a plug number, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But in fact, velocity is predictable in the sense that it can be modeled from causes, and it respond. And if and if while predicting the inputs to the model aren't easy, isn't easy. If you can, then you get a very good answer for what actually happens to monetary velocity. So. Again, I talked about this in episode 10, but the main things that cause the money in circulation to move faster or slower um, are the a, a change in the opportunity cost of holding real cash balances. Okay, So when interest rates go up, money velocity tends to go up. When interest rates go down, money velocity tends to go down. Another impact that normally is not that big of a of a deal, but but has been was in COVID, is that people tend to hold more money um, when they're frightened. Uh, the demand for precautionary cash balances, which ordinarily is fairly inert, was a huge impact in this contraction of money velocity. Um, and uh, and there's also institutional rigidities, just because we we flushed all that money into the system. Um, without enough to buy doesn't mean everyone immediately goes out and spends it. So even if even if if everybody had all that money and and they weren't afraid, 
they still wouldn't just go out and spend 50% more money. It takes a while to, to get through the system. So there is sort of some sort of, uh, and again, not something that we usually have to worry much about, but it's a little bit like a, a Python digesting, you know, a big meal. It's, it, it takes some time to get through. But what's, what's interesting and, and sort of important about, about those causes for, for why the money velocity went down, we had much lower interest rates, we had huge demand for precautionary cash balances, and we had these institutional rigidities. But all three of those things are reversing or loosening up. So that's why today's GDP number, I've been anticipating it so much. In this, as a result of the numbers we got today, we know that money velocity in the second quarter rose about 2% quarter on quarter, which is an 8% annualized pace. That's a very large jump for money velocity. It's not anywhere close to the collapse we saw in, in the early days of COVID, but that's a big move higher for money velocity. Um, and if it sort of continued at an 8% rate for a while, you know, remember every 2% that goes up is, is on the left side of the monetarist equation, the MV part. So if you add 2% there, then you either on the on the right hand side the PQ part you either have to have two percent more output or you have to have two percent higher prices so that money velocity recovery translates directly into uh, inflation on the right on the right side, um, and and so that's uh, you know point three here is that money velocity is not dead people had written it off people had said yes it collapsed during COVID we all know that. But it's dead. It's going to stay down there forever. It's probably going to keep going down forever. Uh, money velocity is never going to matter again. And so we can just sort of ignore it. Well, it's not dead. Um, it's, it, is, it came quite a bit higher in the second quarter. And, uh, and I think that that is not insignificant because all of those things that I mentioned are starting to reverse. Not at all surprising that money velocity should be reversing as well. The turn in money velocity seems to be here. And if velocity does not stay low, and never mind continuing to go down, if it just if it just doesn't stay low, then M, the money supply, needs to contract um, by a lot. If if velocity is going up eight percent a year and you don't want to have problematic inflation, then your money supply needs to be inert. Um, if you have 0% money growth and 8% rise in money velocity, and you have 3% GDP growth, then you get 5% inflation. So now the good news is recently over the last quarter, the money supply has been fairly inert. It's been roughly flat actually over the last over the last quarter, and and a lot of people are very excited about that. Uh, certainly, it is good news. It's it's the <laughs> it's the best news we've had in terms of the quantity of money in quite some time. Uh, the bad news is that things like commercial bank credit are still rising at at nine uh, percent or so over the last quarter, and ten percent over the last year, nine um, percent annualized over the last quarter, um, and and so it's it it's not like all of a sudden. Um, you know, banks have stopped lending and, and money supply is sort of going to just, you know, come grinding to a halt here. That seems unlikely to happen. Higher interest rates um, induce banks to lend more. 
and uh, and it induces borrowers to borrow less, except that borrowers don't really care as much about that extra 50 basis points or 1% as lenders do. Um, if you're IBM, you care a great deal about that extra 25, 50 basis points. But if you're, you know, Fred the plumber, um, then, you know, I'm already borrowing at 14%. What's 15%? So, so it tends to, so the demand for loans tends to be more inelastic than the supply of loans. And so when interest rates go up, it, banks do tend to, uh, the loan growth does tend to uh, uh, stay high. But anyway, that's the battleground where this is all going to be fought is, you know, can we, you know, is, is, mon is money velocity going to continue to rise, which I think it is. And if so, um, can the Fed keep money growth down given that they aren't controlling the quantity of reserves in the system? They're only controlling the price of money. Um, and, 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 and by the way, I, I've said this a number of times on the various podcasts, the answer to that is no. The Fed doesn't, have, doesn't really have any control at this point over the money supply, and they're just really hoping that, it, <laughs> that uh, loan growth slows and that money growth stays, stays low. Um, but that's where the, the battle lines are going to be uh, for inflation going forward. Is, is velocity going to keep going higher? Um, and, and if so, is money growth going to be flat or negative? Um, but remember that, that remember where the battle lines are. We, we've already, we, we have prices up 13% since 2019 with M2 up 49%. And so, you know, all else being equal, if, if velocity just mean reverts to where it was in 2019, then there's a lot more inflation in the pipeline. Now for my money, no pun intended, um, inflation is going to be sticky. I, I don't, I don't really think it's going to, you know, go up further from here. Headline inflation is not going to go up much further from here. Um, famous last words. I, I said once before, I thought it had peaked and it hadn't. Um, but we, we haven't yet seen, uh, median inflation, stop accelerating. So the last median CPI was the highest in, in many, many years. And, it, and, and so even though it, it looks like headline inflation has peaked, again, knock wood, and core inflation is going to peak in a few months, uh, we don't yet have any signs that median inflation is. But having said that, again, I don't think we're going to get 10% inflation, um, at least on the core and median side. But but I think we're going to get inflation that's sticky. I think we're going to have it persistently at four or five. I think it's going to be very, very hard to wring inflation lower than that. And you can go cause your, you can go have a recession if you want, unless you can get money supply to decline appreciably, uh, or money supply growth to stay low while money velocity just stays dead. Then you're going to have inflation uh, persistently bubbling up. And I think that's I think that's the battle that we're going to be fighting over the next several years. And that's all for today's podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, you can contact me at um, inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com or you can you can follow the blog. Um, 
you know, I, if the blog is, is mikeashton.wordpress.com, but it's also been kind of rebranded. It's now inflationguy.blog. Uh, you, it's, it's, it goes to the same place, the same blog. You can follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy or download the Inflation Guy mobile app. Visit Enduring Investments, our website, enduringinvestments.com. And uh, most importantly, whether you call me or not, please defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.